Or if you bought something and you never used it once, I'm thinking like a kitchen gadget or something, you learned a little bit about yourself. You learned that, oh, I'm not the kind of person who's going to make pasta from scratch. And that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Nod to bread makers gathering dust all (laughs) over the world. (laughs) You're burnt out or well on your way there. You're in a constant state of efforting, hustling, and wanting. And frankly, it's exhausting. I'm Dr. Mandy Leto, a self-described recovering overachiever, and I get it. These are the conversations to help you navigate your own self-discovery. Here, you are brave, imperfect, and whole just as you are. Because enough isn't somewhere you get to, a finish line, a title, a state of grace, It's something you choose. Nobody is coming to save you. The beautiful thing is, you get to save yourself, and I'm walking this journey with you. It's time to be more while doing less. Welcome to Enough. Sarah Briggs was on her knees having a panic attack in her kitchen. She was surrounded by all of these things that she had purchased. She was one of these people who loved shopping. It gave her a dopamine hit. But she was in this small apartment now and realized she had nowhere to put all of this clutter. And instead of making her happy, it was really causing her stress. Nowadays, Sarah's known as the declutter coach, and she helps people unpick their complex relationships with buying things that they don't really need because they're hoping that somehow it's gonna fill a void within them or help them to feel worthy or valid or cool or trendy or any of the other complex things we're hoping that things will give us. Grab your cuppa, I'll be right back with Sarah. Sarah, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks for playing with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to get started. So you used to love stuff. Tell us about that. Yeah, I I used to shop pretty much every week. It was a it was a hobby for me and I'm a very sentimental person by nature. I've got you know, I used to have a lot of stuff. I had a walk-in closet that I couldn't walk into. All of my drawers and cupboards were kind of crammed to the point where you, you know, had to be real careful if you're getting something out because you might cause an avalanche. And I essentially moved that huge amount of stuff from one city to another city and finally to Toronto where I am now. And in that last move, I I must have had a truck that was about the same size as my actual apartment. I lived in this tiny little apartment and I had this truck crammed full of stuff. And as I was unpacking it, I was really struggling to find room for everything because this apartment had almost no storage. And I, I remember being in the kitchen, trying to fit everything into my tiny amount of storage space. And it all just kind of came crashing to the ground. And I just sort of, I kind of lost it. I had a little bit of a panic attack and like ended up sobbing on the floor because I was looking around me and just, looking at all this stuff that I bought to make me happy. And I realized it it was not making me happy. And not only was it not making me happy, it was actually making me in that moment deeply unhappy. 
and very stressed. And so it all like, it just kind of came crashing down figuratively and literally. So you're having a moment in your kitchen with your Tupperware. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, that is quite a picture that you paint. So you said you had an aha moment in that Tupperware Mm -hmm. panic attack. You know, none of this is going to fit. All of this is not making me happy. So what was the catalyst? What was the aha moment that finally made you realize this is... Like, what were some of the thoughts that were going through your mind? Like enough is enough is that's what it sounds like you're saying. For sure. Yeah. It was uh, like, why, why am I this way? What has led to this point? And I just started asking all these questions of myself. Why am I so attached to this stuff? Why is it so hard to get rid of it? Why do I keep shopping when I've reached my point of enough? And it essentially took me a, about a year to declutter that huge volume of stuff But I just kept asking those questions. I wanted to know why I was so, so damn attached to all of this stuff that it's just stuff. And I was having a really hard time letting go of it. And that's when I started to turn to psychology and trying to piece together the puzzle of why I attributed so much of my value and my worth to the objects that surrounded me. Mm. This is fascinating. I think one of the things when people are in this place of not feeling good enough, doubting their worth, it's very common from clients that I coach, for example, for them to see shopping as a sport or as as a hobby, as an activity that they really love to participate in because it gives them those instant dopamine hits of feeling some feelings in those moments of like, Ooh, look at me in this new outfit or look at me with my shiny new record (laughs) player or, you know, why, why confront your insecurities if you can spend $50 on a new pair of shoes and and solve that problem for a little while. But the issue is that I think that's the key for a little while, a little while it never lasts. And we're constantly in this rat race chasing this sense of, of worthiness and, and enoughness. And you can't win that game. That has to come from within. So this whole journey just sent me down this kind of path of of trying to understand myself better. And an interesting thing that I discovered actually was that there's a whole bunch of intergenerational trauma in my family, mostly stemming from the Second World War. And the trickle-down effect of that does impact my day-to-day life. And one of the ways that that happened was in my attachment to stuff because with grandparents who went through the Great Depression, you know, insecurity during the war, famine, the stuff around them was able to provide a sort of sense of safety and, you know, security. And that was translated down even to me, where I look at the stuff around me and it either provides physical security, you know, I've got the stuff I need just in case I need it, or emotional safety, because Sometimes stuff feels safer than the people around us. Oh, there's a mic drop moment right there. (laughs) (laughs) For sure, for sure. What I really wanted to unpack with you today is the, the psychological underpinnings of why we buy to fill a void and why we accumulate and find it so difficult to get rid of things that somehow are attached to our feelings of status or 
to a self that we're trying to project out into the world. Because I'm sure many of us have read or heard about Marie Kondo and the art of decluttering. But what I love about your story and your approach is that you take us deep into the psychology of why we actually do this and why it's a game we can never win. Mm-hmm. So I do have a family history of hoarding where a couple of members of my family um, have struggled with a hoarding disorder. And that's sort of where I started my research because the way that I have understood it and interpreted it is that clutter is kind of a spectrum. You know, we're all, for the most part, like we've all got some sentimental attachment to stuff. But for some people, it gets taken to an extreme. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from studying people who who have struggled with hoarding and and applying it, even if we don't meet that criteria, even if it's to a much lesser scale, we all have that same kind of attachment to stuff. And I think that the important thing to realize is that clutter can be very different for different people. There's very distinct types of clutter and each one meets a different need that we have as people. So for example, that just in case clutter generally is trying to meet the need for security and the need for to, to not feel uncomfortable if we don't have what we need in a specific moment in time. But the stuff that we keep for sentimental reasons is mostly tied to our need for connection because we as people were intended to have this community around us. And sometimes we use stuff as a reminder of that community or in place of that community. And it it sort of meets that need for us. And then as far as the, the stuff that we keep for kind of the person that we wish we were, I call it the fantasy self, you know, that's meeting our need for self-acceptance. We're trying to find self-acceptance by buying things for the person that we wish we were rather than accepting who we actually are in the moment. Yeah, I know that one. So let's pull these apart one by one. Tell us a little bit more about the just-in-case style of that seems to be more of a style of not letting things go as opposed to a buying. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, all of them can pose challenges with buying and with not letting things go, like with the just in case. A lot of the time we buy things, even if we have enough at home, just in case. You know, I I like to use the pens as an example, where I used to have hundreds and hundreds of pens. And yet when I was at the store, I'm like, oh, I should buy that pen just in case. But just in case what? Like I, I had reached my point of having enough pens. Like how many pens do we really need? But I was still buying more. And then I struggled to get rid of them because, well, what if I need that pen one day? And I think that because I have anxiety, I'm able to very clearly see all the different possible scenarios where I might need an object one day. I'm very good at piecing together the puzzle, going from point A to point B to point C, where, ooh, if this happens and this happens and this happens, I might need that. And it didn't didn't serve me. I ended up with hundreds of pens when really all I I need is 10 or maybe 15, not even. At most. I'm just counting now, I've got like five pens. And also keeping those things. I remember I had I had once one of my greatest investments as a teenager. I bought a pair of Edwin acid wash jeans. And I remember <laughs> they were $70. And that was so much money for me. I must have been like 18 <laughs> or 19 at the time. And yeah. I just strutted around with my Beyonce energy. Mm-hmm. Look at me in my acid wash jeans. <laughs> and I think I even got some little desert boots. That was like, that, that was probably before your time, but that was like, 
that was the place to be. And those sorts of things, because I made the investment in them at that stage, I thought, you know what? These things are going to be so rad one day. They're going to come back. They're going to come. Um, guess what? No Edwin acid wash <laughs> jeans. <laughs> They've probably had their <laughs> RIP date for good reason. But yeah. then there's that thing too about like keeping clothes that we think will come back in style. And then they're, they're going to be like ultra vintage. <laughs> mm-hmm. The funny thing with fashion though, is that when trends come back, they intentionally make them different so that the old ones aren't cool. You can't just reuse them. You have to buy the new style of whatever that trend is. Otherwise you might not fit in unless you're really into the vintage look, in which case like, oh my gosh, I love it. But yeah, 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 that's true. So the just in case, these are the individuals. I love what you're saying that it's understanding the, it could be that there's an anxious, there's an anxiousness there. And this pausing in that moment when you're feeling the anxiety coming up, instead of just saying, okay, I need this wheelbarrow full of pens if, if you're <laughs> <laughs> in Walmart or whatever, let's, let's get this, this truckload of pens of just actually pausing for a moment. Mm-hmm. And then what would you suggest? Is this the point to actually check in? Like what's the unmet need here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So asking yourself, what about this item is providing me with safety or comfort or security? And how can I meet that need in another way? So for example, if you've got your pens, you're thinking about buying them, you can stop and say, okay, I need to feel like I'm not going to be inconvenienced in the future. And so I'm trying to meet that need by buying these pens. But let's say I don't buy the pens. And then I suddenly run out of all of my pens at home. What can I do? And how can I think creatively and trust myself to figure out the problem, to solve it? So that might mean calling up your neighbor and asking for a pen, or it might mean using a pencil. You know, there's just so many different things that that we don't think about because we're so reliant on buying our way out of problems. Yeah. And buying provides an immediate Band-Aid solution for something mm-hmm. that will, you know, you might go back to the shop next week and buy more pens. It's it's one of those, it's never about the pens or the it's jeans. It's not about the what stuff. I'm, <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm trying to say. Okay. So that's the just-in-case self. So what you're suggesting we do is notice the trigger of wanting to buy something that we already have all our bases covered, really hand on heart if we're honest with ourselves and checking in with ourselves uh, regarding what's the unmet need. And what was that other really nifty question that you asked? What is the need and how can I meet it? And how can uh, I In another it? way, yeah. 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 Another thing that I really like with the just-in-case is taking the money that you would spend on just-in-case items and putting that in a separate account. And then having this sort of just-in-case fund or just like a little emergency fund for just-in-case items. Because when you think about it, the amount of money that we spend and all these little knickknacks that we buy just-in-case like could add up to a lot of money where most of the time we don't need the just-in-case stuff. We've thrown away that money. But if we had just a little nest egg, we would be able to afford when we actually do need those, those things, you know? That's a good point. And it probably won't be pens that we need. It might be a holiday or it might be a massage or it might be a beautiful dinner out or something else. But then we're at choice. I like that. It's sort of catching ourselves in a pattern that's become so ingrained and then 
just having that pattern interrupt there and waiting for us. Yeah, great. Absolutely. What about the sentimental self? I was going to add one more thing to the, the just in case. Yeah. And I also like doing this sort of game. I call it the purgatory cupboard because it's where I put all the things that I want to experiment living without while I make a decision about where they're going to go. But you could call it the just in case closet or the, you know, experimental drawer or whatever. I love running these little sort of science experiments to see what I can actually live without. So if I'm keeping something just in case, I'll put that in our cupboard and I'll try to live without it for a few months and see if I actually do end up needing it. And if I do, then that's fine. I'll I'll keep it. But I think I probably watched one too many episodes of Bill Nye the Science Guy and Magic School Bus growing up because I just I love taking this scientific approach to decluttering and and just experimenting, just trying to live without stuff for a little while. And it's it's a little bit less pressure. You know, I, if I get rid of it right away and I end up needing it, I might kick myself for it. But I like just sort of trying trying out life without that one particular item. That's actually how I ditched my Edwin jeans when I oh, yeah? was moving to the UK from Canada. I had a whole box of clothes that I thought, mm, these aren't quite vintage yet. So they're going to make me look like I've been rolled out of the mothballs and they're not cool <laughs> yet. So I'll just put them here. And th- this was the box of stuff that was in this in-between place of not currently useful and not yet useful in the future. So I had a whole box full of that stuff that I just duct taped up. And then I realized... I don't need any of that stuff. And I just asked my mom to just get rid of it. So bye-bye, Edwin jeans. <laughs> bye-bye, pens. I love that idea of the purgatory cover. That's a really yeah. fun one. And it can actually be helpful to write down like an expiry date on it. Totally. You know, yeah. And yeah. say that if I don't use this within two months, I will sell it or I'll donate it or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fantastic idea. Great for great for decluttering wardrobes too of clothes Mm -hmm. that, you know, the just in case clothes and really we only wear what 20% of our wardrobe, 80% of the time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Let's go then to the sentimentals. Mm -hmm. I find with sentimental clutter, it's a little bit more loaded. Like there's a little bit more emotion behind it because the need that we're trying to meet with sentimental clutter is that need for connection. And I attribute a lot of sentimentality to things. I look at an item and I remember who I bought it with. I remember what I was doing that day or in that time of my life. And I I have all these memories that are associated with the item. And a lot of it involves me reminding myself that my memories live in me. And even if I don't have the item, even if I don't remember the specific event or, you know, especially for like people well in my past, even if I don't remember that specific person, they have shaped my life and they've had an impact impact on who I am. And, and that's okay. It's okay to not have constant reminders of where we've been and, and who we've been with because that lives on in us. This is such a great example of all of that tat that we buy when we're on holiday, you know, like mm-hmm. the sombrero trimmed bikini or the <laughs> thing that... <laughs> That we're going to wear that when we come back to our real life. That's fascinating. And what about kind of gifts from relatives? You know, you get that dreadful Christmas sweater from so-and-so. Do you have a process? I know Marie Kondo has a process, but do you have a process for separating ourselves psychologically from sentimental clutter? I think with Marie Kondo, I really love that 
her process of thanking the item and, and recognizing the purpose that it served, there's a lot to be said for that because especially with gifts, we feel so much guilt. I don't know about you, but I feel so much guilt getting rid of gifts that I'm not using that don't you know, contribute because I live in a 300 square foot apartment. I really don't have room to keep stuff if I'm not using it. And giving myself permission to let go of those items and recognize that that item essentially is just showing that person's love for me. It's showing that they care. And I can remember that love and that caring. I can feel that even if I don't keep the item. So I think this is a great way to practice exactly that. I found that really useful when I've been clearing out my stuff too, that you just hold the item in your hand. Is that what you do? You, you hold the item and then what's, what's her process that listeners might be able to use if they haven't read her book? I believe her process is to, to thank the item for serving you and you know put it aside. I'm not quite as familiar with her process. Mine is more just recognizing that it's like reminding yourself that you are loved Yes. Even if you don't have this item. And yes. if, if that involves thanking the item for what it's done for you, then by all means, thank it. But that can be a little bit much for some people, especially fairly logical minded people who might not be as spiritual in nature, might not be as touchy feely, if you will. So there are different approaches that you can take. I like the idea of it's a kind of a cord cutting to the item, even for the more logical amongst us to just be in gratitude for whatever the intention was for mm-hmm. the receiving that item and be with the intention as opposed to the item as just a symbol of that exchange. So it, sure. it's, it's holding the intention as opposed to the garish Christmas jumper. <laughs> and identifying even like, what did I learn from having this item? And maybe it's that you learned that somebody loves you and they wanted to show that by giving you this thing. Or if it's something that you bought and you're sort of sentimentally attached to it, maybe you learned that oh, I really enjoyed having this for a while. I learned that this was my style and now I've learned that it's not anymore. Or if you bought something and you never used it once, I'm thinking like a kitchen gadget or something, you learned a little bit about yourself. You learned that, oh, I'm not the kind of person who's going to make pasta from scratch. And that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, nod to bread makers gathering dust all (laughs) over the world. I feel like especially in quarantine, eh, a lot of people went out and bought some fancy stuff that they were they swore they would use because they had all the time in the world and then uh, it, it, didn't, it didn't. Yeah, happen. which is a yeah. beautiful segue into the fantasy self. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the fantasy self. This is the one that resonates big time with me. Yeah, the fantasy self, I think I mentioned earlier, is, is this the actions we take and the stuff we buy for the person we wish we were rather than the person we actually are. And I do want to make a distinction between like having dreams. It's okay to have dreams. It's great to, to grow as a person. But the fantasy self stuff is the stuff that you look at it and you feel guilty for not using it. Maybe it's uh, a yoga mat that's been collecting dust for the last five years or you know, a muffin tin because you you're not a baker. And every time you look at it, you think you should be you know, and and getting caught up in, oh, I should do this. I should be doing this. That's the fantasy self-talking. And I think it's important to ask like, well, why? Why should you be this? Where is that pressure coming from? Yeah. When we start shooting all over ourselves, there's an interesting connection to see what is this fantasy self that I'm creating? Because somehow I feel that my 
boring old air quotes, my boring old self is not enough. And therefore I aspire to be this, not by digging deep, but actually by buying things that I think will somehow either spur me into action or Mm. create the facade and the image of the lifestyle I either wish I have or I wanted to present to the world. And I think this is for ladies everywhere who have purchased those sort of six inch size skyscraper car to bar shoes (laughs) (laughs) that I've seen what maybe one outing and end up feeling like mousetraps on your feet and Oh, yeah, yeah. So this fantasy self, this is is absolutely fascinating. So the fantasy self is something that will appear time and again in these episodes in the Enough podcast. I wanted to pull out our yellow highlighters and ring this concept because it's slightly different than having high aspirations, right? Shaking my pom-poms for those. The trouble with the fantasy self is that often the standard is so impossibly high that instead of truly being a motivator, we're setting ourselves up to lose. We're setting ourselves up to feel bad on a chronic basis. And that is actually no bueno. So the fantasy self, check in. Are you holding yourself to impossibly high standards? Are you purchasing things not for your realistic self, but for your fantasy self, just something to start paying attention to. So for me, I had a many different versions of my own fantasy self, and I've seen many different versions in the people that I coach. But the big ones for me were actually the high heels. I noticed that I had a pair of, they were like zebra striped stiletto heels, and I just thought they were the coolest thing when I bought them. I did not wear them once. I I paid, I don't know what, $50, $60 for a pair of shoes that just sat in my closet that looked pretty and that they held this version of myself that I desperately wanted to be. And I ended up looking at all my heels and saying, like, do I enjoy wearing these? Am I getting anything out of wearing these? And ultimately I decided that I wasn't and I got rid of all my heels and I think that the reason why I kept them for so long was because I worried what other people would think of me if I didn't wear heels to fancy events or if I didn't dress up with heels for a night out. And getting rid of them felt really vulnerable. And that's what I had been running away from is this this fear of not being accepted by people if I don't look like everyone else when we go out or when we're at a wedding or whatever. And in getting rid of them, I was able to start cultivating that sense of self-acceptance in myself rather than putting that on my high heels to fill that need for me. This is where it gets really interesting that when we start to really get clear with our possessions, whether they're the ones that we're looking at through the glass with our kind of hands and nose pressed against the glass of selfridges, like, ooh, hello, lover, looking at that dress in the window, come to me, Uh, (laughs) knowing that I'll probably wear it once or twice, just because that's not my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. When we start to get really clear about why we are purchasing something, one of the things I have realized is that I have a desire to purchase things when I feel that my life is not going well, when I'm feeling like I'm failing at things, when the progress isn't happening, when I don't have the sense that I'm 
moving fast enough. I get this feeling like I should be further along by now. And then I find myself on, say, Selfridge's website, putting fantasy items into my basket. Like, oh, that would be cute on me. Oh, isn't that cute? With no intention to ever press buy now. Mm-hmm. What is that all about? I think it's this idea of trying on different things. We like to imagine ourselves wearing certain items, being cool. And it sounds like your brain is able to kick in and and stop you from actually spending that money, where for a lot of people, that's really challenging. They end up actually buying all that stuff. But I think ultimately it boils down to the sense of control, You know, if life feels out of control, we start to look for control anywhere that we can find it. And one of those ways is to to shop, to try to form ourselves into what society wants us to be. I remember seeing some stat a while back that the average American sees between 4,000 and 10,000 advertisements a day. And all of those advertisements are specifically designed to tell us that we're not enough to make us want to buy something so that we'll feel whole, so that we'll feel in control. And I think that the only antidote to that is to decide, no, enough's enough. And I am all that I really need. I'm I'm enough. I'm worthy. I don't need to have this, all these things that are being pushed in my face through advertisements. I like the idea of catching ourselves trying to feel in control when life feels out of control. So the buying of things in that moment as a kind of psychological crutch allows us to create a fantasy self that looks shiny and successful with extremely bouncy hair and glossy lips or whatever the men's version of that is. Look at me buying something to push down the need or the feeling of not enough or not winning at life or not succeeding on that business deal or you know it's the for me anyway i noticed that in the past i have definitely used buying clothes buying cosmetics buying cute trainers anything like that to fill this void of disappointment when something else is not working out in my life and i never made the connection that this is the the image of success and shininess and this fantasy self that I'm kind of putting on like a mask, hoping that nobody, including myself, has to see or feel all of the murky stuff that's underneath. Yeah. And the murky stuff is is vulnerability and shame. And, and the only real way to work through that is to put words to it. It's to recognize it and then reach out for, for support from someone that you trust. And again, that goes back to the need for connection. Why do we bother to buy all this fantasy self stuff? We want to be accepted. We want to be loved and we want to fit into a community. And the way to do that in real life is to reach out to people that you love and trust. It's it's not to buy the fancy new sweater or the <laughs> crafting equipment. I know a big fantasy self that I had for a while was knitting where I was convinced I was going to start knitting. I wanted to be somebody that that knit because I'm basically a grandma as it is. <laughs> I am a 30-year-old grandma and knitting just fit into that persona that I had about myself, that sense of identity. But I never ended up learning how to knit. I kept buying yarn, hoping that I would learn how to knit and I didn't. And I was forced to confront that, like, why, why am I trying to knit? And it's 
because I wanted to be able to create things and give them to people as a way of showing my love to them. That's ultimately what it boiled down to. It was all about that connection. And I realized that I don't actually have to knit to do that. I can, you know, write letters to people. I can bake them sourdough. Like there's other things that I can do to, to strengthen those connections that don't involve my fantasy knitting self. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. So could you, as we're wrapping this up, could you actually just go back? So the just in case self is really about security and the intervention for that is just so that listeners remember. Yeah. The intervention for, for that is to trust in yourself and your resilience and know that if ever there's a, a situation that arises and you don't have exactly what you need because you decluttered it or whatever, trust that you'll figure it out. You can reach out to support uh, to other people for support. You can use something else instead. You can try going without it. You know, it's, it's all about trusting in yourself to be able to figure things out. Yeah. Cause it's never about the stuff. And I think that's the key yeah. is when we have that, that compulsion or that trigger, that urge to do something, Really, what I'm hearing you say is about creating the pause and getting curious about like, hmm, what's going mm-hmm. on underneath there? So yeah. the sentimental self, what, yeah. that's, that, is that about belonging? Is that what you said? It's all about belonging. Yeah. And I think that the, the antidote to keeping sentimental clutter is to strengthen our relationships mm-hmm. and you know, remind yourself that your, your memories are living in you and not in your stuff. Yeah, not in the dingle ball sombrero that you're going to take home on the plane and then we'll get dusty (laughs) hanging on your wall. Exactly. (laughs) And then the fantasy self? Mm -hmm, The fantasy self. that one quickly. Yeah, so essentially that was when you're buying things for who you wish you were and not for who you actually are. And the antidote to that is to cultivate more self-acceptance from within and, and just be able to say, this is me, you know? take it or leave it. And that is a scary and risky thing to do, but oh my God, is it ever worth it? Because that's how you find the people who actually love you for you and not for the persona that you're putting on. Yeah. And people still love me without the Edwin jeans, by the way. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So what I ask guests to do at the end of an episode is to lay a brick of wisdom It's something short and snappy when we're walking on this path, which actually is a bit of a spiral, but just Mm -hmm. easier to visualize a path on this journey to enough. If you are going to lay a brick of wisdom on this path to enough about our relationship with stuff, what would you say? I would say, let go. Mm. I mean, obviously my... My company is called Let That Shit Go. So it's it's pretty on brand. But ultimately, decluttering is not about the stuff. It's about working through and letting go of the emotions and the mindsets that aren't serving us anymore. And I think that in order to find enough, we have to let go of the excess. Actually, the, the stuff can often be things that block us knowing that we're enough, knowing mm. our worth, because they kind of scramble the signals, at least in my brain. So it's almost like in this case, less really is more. When we have less things to dust, to vacuum, to shoehorn into cupboards that turn out to be like those Mr. Bean cupboards that when you open them, all the kind of tennis rackets <laughs> and crap comes fl- flying out. We can actually be with ourselves 
And we have a different relationship with all the items that we own in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like more time too. More time. To be able to work through that. Right? You know? <laughs> win, win, win. Sarah, <laughs> where can people find out more about you and your movement? Yeah, the best place is my website. It's letthatshitgo.ca. And that's where you'll find a bunch of blog posts all about different uh, decluttering mindsets or struggles. You know, I talk about things like grief and decision fatigue and even like how to declutter in a sentimental, how to declutter in a uh, sustainable way. I also have a free 20 page decluttering guide to help start you through the process of decluttering. I'm also on social media. So Facebook is uh, letthatshitgo.ca. And then on Instagram and TikTok, it's at let that shit underscore underscore go. Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Those will all be in the show notes. And I highly recommend that you get that free guide. And also it's such a pleasure to follow you on social media. I get a chuckle every time and I always learn something. Sarah, thank you so much for playing with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is lovely. I hope you're taking something really tangible away from that conversation with Sarah. That is always the aim here at Enough, is to give you something practical that you can action in your life right away. Next time, we have Rachel Hasper on the other mic. I'm so excited to introduce you to her. We're talking about nice guy energy and good girl energy. A lot of connective tissue to this episode. Here is a preview of what you can expect. The good girl energy is a setup. We're never, ever going to win a trophy for it. There's always going to be someone judging us. We're probably going to be constantly judging ourselves anyhow. So we're probably miserable in that space anyhow. And there can be great freedom to just say, this is not serving me anymore. I hope you'll join us for that episode. And in the meantime, if you love the Enough podcast, please head on over to iTunes and leave a review. And send this episode to a friend who you think would benefit. The more, the merrier at the party. One final shout out to the composer of the really rad music for this podcast, Mr. Tommy Andrews, who heads a podcast of his own, the Sound Spring Podcast. For anybody who's a music lover, head on over to check him out. As ever, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. I look forward to being with you again very, very soon. This is Mandy Leto, signing out for enough.